0: that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Dw Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone.
2: Welcome to the D-Hour Network. You're on For Your Health Show with Marsha Patterson. I just want to wish everyone a happy, uh, well, a Memorial Day. And I'm hoping that it's be a peaceful. And pretty much people are pretty much uh, here in Georgia where the stay-at-home order is being listed over the Memorial Day weekend. And that is happening for many other states, so I pray that many people be safe and just take time to enjoy each other. Um, I'm so glad to have my guest back on the show, Roberta Rogiro, Rogiro, I always pronounce her last name wrong, Rogiro, Roberta Rogiro, and she is the founder and the president of a Hypoglycemic Support Foundation. I've had her on the show before, and we talked about hypoglycemic, low sugar, how it affects people's behavior, their moods, and a lot of times, many doctors don't look at that. And also, we're blessed to have from Alderson. He is the CEO of the Hypoglycemic Foundation, and I just want to wish them both back on the show because they got some great information. We want to talk about the low blood sugar, hypoglycemic, food, and even the coronavirus. So I want to welcome you guys. Thank you for taking out time of your Sunday to kind of share this great information about hypoglycemic and how it affects our body and our mind and our overall family health. Thank you, guys.
3: Thank you, Marcia. It's always a pleasure.
4: I'm excited. I'm very, very excited. And uh, we feel very, very honored. We see not only are you growing, but you're um, Your talk show is growing. It's really really reaching far and wide. So we're excited for your success. It's well-deserved. Well, you know, I think the
2: point is is being able to have a a platform to share with everyday people about how we can take better care of our own health. And a lot of times I find that it's more believable when you're talking to someone has walked that journey, has struggled, and overcome to kind of give that light to others and that torch to say, okay, you can do it. Let me pass on the information and the, uh, the teaching that you need for you and your family to be successful. And I know that was your passion the reason why you founded the, uh, the Hypoglycemic Support Foundation to give people that guidance and direction based on your story and your journey and how you got your life back. Tell our listening audience those who haven't taken time because Roberta has been on the show before, and so you can go back and listen to some of our previous Blog Talk Show, which was very powerful. But I want the new listening audience who's listening now just to hear her journey and what passion that come out of you know
4: taking care of yourself. Now let me help others.
2: Share your story, Ms. Uh, Roberta, if you please.
4: Uh, yes. Now, you said I think people can go back and listen, you know, from our previous, um, uh, our previous. Um, <laughs> what am I trying to say, interviews, okay, for yes. a real lengthy uh, explanation. I'm going to do it real quick because uh, I'd mm-hmm. like to speak about hypoglycemia, meaning low blood sugar, and then I'd like to pass it over to Wolfram and let him speak about diabetes, high blood sugar. And um, both of them should be uh, known to your audience, and especially today and tonight and these times, and how both blood sugar irregularities are associated with the COVID-19. So uh, I'll quickly go through my story to share it for those that, you know, are here for the first time and listening. Um, Again, my name is Roberta Ruggiero, and I founded the Hypoglycemia Support Foundation 40 years ago. Why? Because from uh, uh, early 1960s to 1970, I was sick for a period of 10 years. Started right after my daughter was born, Uh, and then all of the symptoms that I had were intensified in 1963 when my son was born. So for a five-year period, I was going from doctor to doctor. I was taking numerous tests. I was given hundreds of medication. Why? Because I had severe headaches. I mean, headaches where I couldn't keep my head, you know, held high. You know, it was pounding morning, noon, and night. So I had severe headaches. I had severe fatigue. I couldn't get out of the bed, which was very difficult to try to take care of two small children that were 15 months apart. I had the shakes. I had the um, depression. I had crying spells. I had cold hands, cold feet. Now, when I mention cold hands, cold feet, it may seem like nothing, but I mean that they had to be wrapped. At one time, I was, like, crying, I said to my husband, just sit on them, sit on them. I They, they were, like, frostbitten, you know? So during that five-year period, every time I would go to the dentist, they would give me a prescription. Well, the first one was Valium. And then after that, you know, they just upped the... Um, the dosage because they they didn't know what else was wrong. I took uh, electroencephalograms. I took spinal taps. I took um, more blood work than you can imagine. And after five years, the doctor said there is nothing physically wrong with you. It has to be emotional. That was by process of elimination. So they suggested that I see my first psychiatrist, which is which was in like nineteen late nineteen. Um, 66, 67, and this was a very frightening time. You just don't go to a psychiatrist during that time. It was very frightening. I was afraid. But I went, and then the doctor took my history, and he says, well, I got married too young, had children too soon. I said, yes, but, doctor, you know, I can't put them back. You know, what do I do? So he added to all the medication, okay, so besides pills to go to sleep, pills to get up, pills for pain, now I was taking antidepressants and mood-altering drugs from Thorazine, Meloril, Tofranil. And uh, when that didn't help, I went to my second psychiatrist, and he said the same thing. Out of complete desperation, because right now I really was thinking of suicide, because there was no nothing, there was no help, no relief in sight. So I went to my third psychiatrist and he says, I have, um, I have something. I have a a process that I think will help you. And, you know, at that time you put the doctor on the pedestal and I just said, whatever it is, I'll, I'll do it. And, um, my husband, you know, I signed papers. I had no idea what I was signing. I went to the hospital and I said, okay, to my husband, goodbye. I'll see you. And, um, went and then I didn't realize until I got in what I was for I was locked up in a mental institution about ready to have electric shock therapy and then I just cried and I said there's no way please I got to get out and they said no since you signed you had to stay so I was there for almost three weeks I had you have to have a series I think it's 11 I think I had whatever and by the time I got home I could not function And, uh, you know, it was the scariest, uh, most humiliating, uh, terrifying time of my life. I did not speak about it for 10 years. Uh, Consequently, six months later, because I wasn't better, I went as an outpatient. And uh, after just a few of them, I said to my husband, that's it. I want to stop. I want to die because, you know, there was no hope. So what we decided is that he had a chance to move from New York to Florida, and uh, he says how the doctor said take take a move go go take the job, maybe a whole new scenery maybe a change would will be the answer because we don't know what else to do. So we moved to South Florida. I was okay for about a month or two, and then I had another symptom. I was passing out without any you know uh, notice. Before you know it, I would be standing, and I was on the floor. It happened several times when I was in church. So anyway, I had to go to another doctor reluctantly, and I went to an osteopathic physician. I had no idea the difference between a medical doctor, an MD, or a DO, but I went. And this doctor was quite different. I went in there with all my medication, and I went in there with my history, and he said, Roberta you never had a glucose tolerance test and I said I had every test in the last six years I mean ten years he said no you didn't he says that's the first thing I want to give you he says second I want to ask you a question I said what is it he says what do you eat and I just looked at him and I said this guy is crazy what do you mean what do I eat (laughs) and then I stopped to think you know well what do I eat well I skip breakfast I skip lunch and then around three o'clock You know, I'm from an Italian, you know, heritage, so my mother would come over with either, you know, um, lasagna or, you know, Italian bread. And my husband would come home and to cheer me up, he'd, you know, bring home a hot fudge sundae or something like that or dessert. So, you know, and I try to just have that. But uh, he said, I promise you, he says, let's take the test because I think I have a feeling what it is. He came back. A week later, and he said, Roberta, you have a severe case of functional hypoglycemia. I said, well, what is it? It's even hard to pronounce. He says, all I want you to know is that if you change the way you eat, your symptoms will go away. And I said, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. But lo and behold, I was desperate. I wanted to change. I looked at my kids. I looked at my husband, and I said, I'll do anything. But you're talking about the early 1970s. You know, we didn't have the Internet. Um, I tried to get books on it. I did. But the first stage of hypoglycemia, especially after having electric shock therapy, was very difficult to read, very difficult to comprehend, understand the books were too medical, the books were too technical but I got whatever I could out of it and it took me three years. I knew the diet was very important but I had no idea the difference between um, a regular carb or a complex carb. Um, I, I had to get off of you know sugar and, and, and coffee and all of that. And how do I do it and you know I, I didn't know where to go and I was ashamed so I was doing it by myself. And then I had to get off of all the medication that I was on. So I went for hypnosis to do it.
0: And everything
4: was under a shield of secrecy because I was too ashamed to tell anybody. So anyway, it took me three years. I went back to, you know, I was able to stabilize my symptoms. I was able to go to school, I was able to go to work, and I thought that was it. Now, I told no one, Marcia, because I kept it a secret. I was humiliated, I was embarrassed because of the therapy that I had. So um, I thought, that's it, I'm going on my merry way. And then 1977, there was a tiny article in the paper, the Miami Herald, anyone having harmful effects of electric shock therapies get in touch with this committee, which I did. Long story short, they asked me to go to Tallahassee to restrict the abuse of electric shock therapy. I did, and uh, my story hit the front page, and um, and that was it. I did a lot of talk shows, something very similar to yours, what you have, and we got such incredible response, and the talk show host said, Roberta, you need to start a support group. The people are calling. The lights are, you know, just blaring. They want to know. You know, what are you eating? How were you diagnosed? Um, You know, how do you deal with it with your children? How do you go on? How do you deal with it? How does your spouse deal with it? Please, please, please form an organization. And that's it. I formed the Hypoglycemia Support Foundation in 1980. And Wolfram was instrumental. And just a couple of months ago, we celebrated our 40th anniversary. And he'll tell you a little bit more about that. So that's that's my story and um, and then, you know, so I'm dealing with low blood sugar. Uh, almost four years ago, my husband passed, and I thought for sure I'd have to give up the organization because I couldn't do it anymore. and um, I, I just wasn't physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually able to continue. And then God had different plans, and I say He, he sent an angel in a body. I met um, Wolfram Alderson. It was just miraculously how we did meet, and a few months later he became our CEO, and he's taking it to heights that I only dreamt of, and he's going to talk about that tonight, besides. But what's also happened is that Wolfram's going to be talking about not the opposite, but a prelude too, which is diabetes. So, tonight we're going to speak about hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, and diabetes, high blood sugar. So, I'd like to pass that on to him because he'll tell you the reason why and why the audience needs this information. And um, and the latest reason is, um, you know, extremely important, extremely important. So, I hope the audience listens. So, I hope. Both you and I will
2: just pass this over to Wolfram Alderson. All right, we got you got the torch. Yes, thank you, from, Um Can you? Are you
4: there? Are you there?
3: Yeah, I'm here. Thank you. Okay, uh, great. I, thank thank you, you, Marcia.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, well, I mean, I I never. I mean, I never. Uh, I'm always impressed when I hear uh, Roberta's story. Um, you know, know. literally. Literally um, shocking, but also uh, just really aware that today, you know, 40 years later, there's still so many people that have to navigate through the healthcare system um, that still seems uh, so out of touch with some of the um, the mechanisms that are really driving, uh, uh, you know, chronic or uh, what we call reactive or functional hypoglycemia, and the relationship with uh, uh, between low blood sugar and high blood sugar. Uh, yeah. Low blood sugar is called hypoglycemia. High blood sugar is called hyperglycemia. Hypo is a prefix that means beneath or below uh, because mm-hmm. the blood sugar drops below the uh, medically uh, determined point where um, your your health is at risk and in fact, um, people can die if their blood sugar goes too low. And hyper means over. It's a prefix means over or excess. And uh, what what's really interesting is is really the roller coaster effect because it's very rare that people uh, just have low blood sugar or high blood sugar. There's very often, in the majority of cases, a relationship between the two, what we call the blood sugar roller coaster. Um, and so, um, Marcia, anytime you have a question, just jump in, and I, I'd be happy to stop. And, and I do you know, have,
2: right now. What from yes. what, what is the, what is considered a good number? Because we talk about low blood sugar, high blood sugar. What's the normal medium that's supposed to be in the medium to say your your blood sugar is normal? Or your blood sugar is at a danger high or is at danger low? What are those numbers and what are they so we can know what those numbers are? Because a lot of times you go to the doctor and they say, well, your blood sugar is high or your blood sugar is low, and we don't know what those numbers are. What are those numbers?
3: All right. So I'm going to give you a normal blood sugar range, but I mm-hmm. I need to give the caveat that Uh, while there is a standardized range of blood sugar that's considered to be normal, um, Mm -hmm. the way in which individual people react to blood sugar at different blood sugar levels varies widely. And that's really important because what might feel normal to you or maybe just slightly low, let's say 70, so the normal range uh, let's just say is between 90 and 120. Uh, 140 is borderline, uh, you know, high blood sugar, and pushing down to you know 80 and 70 is low blood sugar or or further. And of course, your blood sugar can be much higher as well. But the you know the the most of the population is somewhere between 90 and 120. Um, but mm-hmm. there are people who experience uh, really um, profound uh, negative effects at what you might experience as normal. So you might have a maybe you're at 70 or 80, and you might already be feeling uh, the effects. So you know, an example of a common effect that you you know you've probably heard say, "I'm feeling hangry, which is a cross between hunger and hungry yeah. and angry. Yeah. Meaning you, you yes. get grumpy if if you don't, you know, your your blood sugar starts to drop. And where you start to feel grumpy or notice that you're, you know, there's a wide variety of symptoms and we could give you a long list. Um, but, again, it varies by the individual. And so this is kind of a key thing. This is a big shift really in medicine, which is uh, one-size-fits-all medicine is really uh The past and the future is personalized medicine, meaning that the diet that's good, there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all diet, which is basically, you know, um, interestingly, in 1980, when Roberta founded the Hypoglycemia Support Foundation, we also had uh, the dietary guidelines in the U.S. were passed. And basically, that was a one-size-fits-all. You know, here are the macronutrients, and here's the, you know, uh, you know, the right ratio of protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Um, but we've what we've learned since then is that um, in you know we we're all individuals and our genetics, our environment, and uh, you know so much has changed since 1980. So for example, uh, so, so I hope I answered your question about the blood sugar range. Um, you did. But there's something but- really yes. Yeah,
1: Can I just say one
4: thing? Wolfram, can I just say one thing? Yes. Wolfram? Sure, go ahead. I I just wanted to interject here, Marsha, that um, Dr. Carlton Fredericks, who wrote New Low Blood Sugar, and it's almost like the Bible, uh, every single thing you want to know about hypoglycemia, you you have to read his book. And I'll never forget what he said concerning uh, the, the numbers, He says, treat your symptoms, not the numbers. So like Wolfram said, it just depends. You know, you could be 60, 70, 80, have no symptoms, and then have it at 85, you feel symptoms. Everyone is different. So that's why, you know, if anybody's listening out there, you know, educate yourself. If you say, oh, my God, um, the more they're talking, the more I think I may have hypoglycemia. You know, after you get off, go to our website, read more, learn more, educate yourself. Uh, if you have a number and you just stick with the number, it, it, you know, it's very, very flexible. So I wanted to, you know, just say that treat the symptoms, not so much the number, you know, and work with your doctor naturally. Go ahead, Wolfram. Yes.
3: Yeah, so um, I mentioned that the difference between hypo and hyperglycemia. You know, high, uh, low blood sugar and high blood sugar. Um, the, you know, the, the low blood sugar or hypoglycemia was really first described by um, a doctor and scientist back in the, you know, starting in the 20s, but really in the 40s. Uh, Dr. Seal Harris uh, was uh, famously known for as a as a discoverer of hypoglycemia and uh, hyperinsulinemia, and um, you know back then um, uh, he he said this, this was back in the forties. He said, the low blood sugar of today is the diabetes of tomorrow and so what he what he was pointing out uh, you know uh, all those years ago was that hypoglycemia, low blood sugar is uh, like a canary in the coal mine. Of metabolic disease, meaning it's it's a sign early on that something's amiss, and that you can, you you have the opportunity to do something about that before it evolves into a more chronic uh, disease state like uh, diabetes. And of course, um, you know diabetes. There's two types, two main types: type 1 diabetes, which uh, is also called juvenile diabetes, and type 2 diabetes. Back in 1980, I actually worked at a senior center, uh, a a senior health and peer counseling center here in California. And um, at that time, type 2 was called geriatric diabetes.
0: Um,
3: And so so that's how the two were defined, you know, for many years. But since 1980, um, the onset of type 2 diabetes has dropped down into – the juvenile population. In fact, some mothers are even uh, pregnant with children who have who've already have type 2 diabetes in the womb. So the, the onset of type 2 diabetes has um, dropped down, you know, from the senior population all the way down to children. And the big shift has been, uh, you know, the, the cause of that has been the shift in our diet to processed foods that um, have a lot of carbohydrates, and also, of course, sugar.
4: Um, so well, I
2: have a question. I have a question yes, with please. the type 2 diabetes. You indicated that mothers who are pregnant, so they're doing blood work and can tell that the baby that's in the womb is already at a type 2 diabetes, or just the mothers at type 2 while she's pregnant with the baby?
3: Well, it could be e- either or both. Um, it's 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 rare, but... Uh, doctors now are seeing you know babies and infants coming in because of the diet the mother was on oh, also God. there is, there there is something called gestational diabetes, and that has to do with you know essentially uh, a condition that develops during pregnancy. Um, but yeah. uh, but it's also of course related to the diets that uh, mother mothers are eating when they're when they're pregnant. And you know wow. you probably heard you know the stories of you know mothers eating ice cream and pickles and just all kinds of things. They have a you know mm-hmm. they say they're eating for two, um, but um, you know we just have to be careful that we're we're eating for two that we're eating healthy foods, not eating bad foods, and that's that's a, a also very relevant to the subject of the day, the coronavirus. Um, you know we when we're under stress we're You know, many of us are, we haven't experienced anything like this in our lifetime. Uh, We have a tendency to manage stress with comfort foods and foods that maybe you normally wouldn't eat or maybe you went to the supermarket at least early on and there wasn't a lot on the shelf and you you might have picked up more processed foods and brought them home. But also there's this stress eating and comfort foods that are, uh, tend to be high in starch and added sugar. Um, so we just have to, you know, just be aware of that. The diet, of course, is a, a huge driver um, uh, behind uh, hypoglycemia, hyperglycemia. Um, as it turns out today, you know, since 1980, um, over 50% of the population is now pre-diabetic or diabetic. And in, in the South, I think you said you're in Georgia, right? Marcia.
2: Yes, I'm in Georgia. Yes.
3: Yeah. So in the South, you may have heard the expression "I've got the sugar." Yes.
2: Um, yes
3: which yes. is, which is, a, is just another way of saying I have type two diabetes. Um, and you know, diabetes uh, uh, mellitus is this is the the type two diabetes, which is has to do um, with your body's, uh, you, you, you become insulin resistant, meaning um, your cells, uh, because they're getting, there's so much added sugar in your diet because of processed carbohydrates and added sugar that your cells start rejecting, uh, resisting insulin, which is what actually, insulin is the hormone that, um, bring, that brings the sugar into your cells. All of our cells need uh, glucose in order to function, but because we're literally flooding ourselves with so much sugar um, the, and the insulin is is sort of like the companion with uh, glucose that goes up to the door of your cells and says, hey, let us in. But if, the, if there's somebody knocking at your door, it's like when you get uh, marketing calls all day. You just stop answering the door. You stop answering the phone. And that's what your cells wow. start doing. They stop answering wow. the phone. And, and they don't let the the they become insulin resistant, as opposed to the type one diabetes where you're insulin dependent. Uh, you don't you don't have the insulin, so you need to uh, actually uh, have the insulin um, you know injected. Um, so and, and you know insulin is this chemical messenger you know and that is so important in, in tell you know telling our cells what to do and how to uh, metabolize our foods, and that's just gotten just totally out of whack with our diet, which is so high in sugar. Over 75% of our food supply now has added sugar in it. And we're consuming, Mm -hmm. depends on the individual, but, you know, uh, anywhere from 75 to 120 pounds of sugar per person uh, per year. And uh, that's, that's just a massive amount of sugar, in addition to the processed carbohydrates, which convert to, Sugar instantly in your body So we're just bombarding ourselves With either uh, simple carbohydrates Which convert to sugar Or added sugars that are added To literally 75% of our food supply
2: You know I was um, I was at one of the schools here In Georgia Was talking to the counselor Was kind of trying to convince her To try to have a present So I can do a presentation on food and behavior And letting them link this, you know, the problem with kids acting up the academics and diet. And she was telling me that she, she was on blood pressure, um, high blood pressure medication at the age of 12. And I'm like, yes. who gives high blood pressure medication at the age of 12? And she was in her mid 40s. So she's been on these pills for years. And what I'm finding out from our community that this high blood pressure medication and even um, type two diabetes is rampant. It's very rampant, and it's poor diet. And this diet affects the children's behavior and things. So and getting people to understand the importance of what they eat before you're pregnant, while you're pregnant affects the next generation. And I think what you're telling us and sharing with us is so profound about these numbers. And one thing that uh, it's important for me to understand is that those numbers don't lock you in the box. And I guess I, my understanding, will from listening to you talk, those numbers, like um, Roberta said, treats the symptoms and not the numbers. And I think so many times you go into the doctor, they look at the number, and then they write a prescription. And we don't have a discussion with the numbers because you're only in those office maybe just a few minutes, and then that's it and then you're gone because a lot of times you don't have time to have a conversation with them. And that's why I think it's important what you guys are doing with the hypoglycemic foundation because you have very good detailed information about symptoms, food, everything on your website. So, I applaud what you're doing in this 120 pounds of sugar per year per individual and I, and I love the uh, the analogy of what about the insulin um, answering the door, um, the calls—you know—all these calls are constantly coming in, and finally you stop answering. And I think that was a good analogy to give me a clear picture of the insulin and what our bodies are going through in our cells. So I just want to thank you guys for that. But I like that the book you said was um, New Blood Sugar.
4: Is that—is that correct, Roberta? The name of the book,
2: the New Blood Sugar.
4: The name of the book is uh, The Do's and Don'ts of Hypoglycemia. An Everyday Guide to Low Blood Sugar. That's basically what the whole thing, what it is. And um, they could, could, um, you know, get it on Amazon. And I think uh, there's a, uh, Wolfram, I think there's a Kindle version. Um, I I really haven't looked it up. Uh, Yeah, there's a uh, Kindle version. Well, hopefully in the next year I'll have a new book out. And Wolfram has one coming out, so we're excited about that. So we're busy writing and editing. So uh, we're excited about that. Um, I just want to say here, um, Marsha, that I get so frustrated because we just can't keep up with the amount of emails that we get, personal phone calls, letters. Uh, We have a a private support group. Uh, We have our Facebook page. So every day we could just sit and take hours out to what we're seeing and what is depressing is that what happened to me 40 years ago is still happening today. So I. Even with just like. Wanted... Well, Even what's happening doctor is doctor that. Treatment? Well, we don't talk so much about that. That's like, it's, that's like uh, bigger than the elephant in the room. Um, people think that they're not giving them. And according to the people that I keep in touch with, according to certain groups that are very up on it, they are giving electric shock therapy now, today, more than ever, particularly in the state of Florida. And they say they're doing it differently. Um, You know, I don't even want to go there because I I almost did and and joined a group, but I, I, I just can't. I just can't keep up with what we have. And if it wasn't for Wolfram, I wouldn't even be able to do it. You know, I'm getting up there in age, and it's 40 years that I'm doing it, and I'm just sometimes I'm worn out. But then I get a letter from a parent that's three-year-old has it, and, you know, I say, Lord, give me the strength the determination and the will to keep on going, and I I do. I get it. But what happens when I see is that, um the, you know, they'll go to the doctors, they'll go with the symptoms, they'll get to have the same headache, like what I have, the headache, the headache, the headache. First thing they get is a prescription, okay? Uh, they're nervous, they're anxious, so they're depressed. They'll get the tranquilizers, the antidepressants. You know, very few doctors ask, like what my doctor asks: what do you eat? What is your diet <laughs> like? So they are getting better. We do see um, a movement, and we are very, very lucky that we have a phenomenal board of medical advisors that know what we're about, that are using, you know, know, uh, the tools and the techniques and the uh, testing parameters to check hypoglycemia, food allergies, food sensitivities. And I must say that we had maybe a quarter or maybe not even a half of the advisors and Wolfram has gotten the rest over the last four years, you know, and um, we've got the best of the best. So uh, it is changing and we're changing and I'm very proud to say, and they're joining us, which is, is, is unbelievable, but it's still slow, but you know what's happening? The people are rising up because they Mm see that, the medication is not working they see what it's doing to them and now they're reading more and more about this food mood connection and not so much connecting it with hypoglycemia the diabetes but it's a start it's a start and on my website and my facebook page we have some doctors that are really really psychiatrists psychologists and Wolfram's going to mention a few about some of the testing parameters and the therapists that we're talking with, the psychiatrists and what they're doing, you know, like what do they say, Um, light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm starting to see it, and I'm very excited, but there's still a great majority that, um, you know, for instance, you know, I'll look at people that are on, that contact us, and I'll see what they write. They're still eating fruit. They're still eating bread. They're still eating candy. They're still eating this. They don't know how to get off of it. But Wolfram was just involved with a big um, quit sugar summit. The tools are there. We give them the tools. We show them where to go. Wolfram and I are just not saying that we're doctors, but we, we're we in between. We're the advocates, and we show them where to go and the, the professionals. Everything that we put up, Wolfram is a stickler. Everything has to be science back or at least approved by our medical advisors, and they're the best of the best. So, again, if anybody is listening and you don't want to get my book or, you know, don't want to get the, the Kindle version, Please, please, please at least go to our website at hypoglycemia.org. There's a wealth, a wealth of information. And I think Wolfram puts something up there every day, every other day. It's phenomenal. We're now starting to do a lot of podcast interviews with the best of the best, all about hypoglycemia, diabetes, and um, so listen to them. But as I say, it's still, we're taking steps, 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 because I still hear, my doctor doesn't believe in hypoglycemia. My doctor won't test for it. My doctor knows nothing about nutrition. Right. And then some. sometimes I get angry, but you know what? You can't get angry at them. They were not for <laughs> And why? Because hypoglycemia used to be diagnosed. Hypoglycemia used to be accepted. But what happened around the early 1960s, they had so much... Ab- Written about it, um, it was like everybody was writing about hypoglycemia. Consequently, they were going to their doctors, demanding a glucose tolerance test. And what happened is the AMA, because of this influx of um, you know people rushing to their doctors and talking about hypoglycemia endlessly, the AMA put in 1960 that hypoglycemia does not exist. It is a fad disease. So consequently, if it does not exist and it's not in your medical, you know, curriculum, they're not being taught. I mean, I went, like, 10, 15 years ago to speak to the students at Nova Southeastern University. They knew nothing about it. And then said, we don't even know anything about it. And as of three years ago when I had a gala, there was an endocrinologist in the audience, and he said, can we possibly speak? I'd like to know more about it. I said sure, so I went to have a um, a um, private, you know, meeting with him at his at, at his hospital, and he said, you know, I'm glad that I tended a gal. I'm glad I found out about hypoglycemia. I'm glad about your organization. I commend what you're doing. He says, but I have to be honest, I don't know anything about it. This was three years ago, you know, wow. 2017 you know and about 4 years ago i got a letter from a doctor and said i am now seeing more and more people being diagnosed with hypoglycemia even young children i'm able to give them the glucose tolerance test they are diagnosed as having hypoglycemia but that's it now i don't know what to do do you have any information on diet what can i give them so i sent my book i gave them diet information so Maybe we're taking baby steps, and I'm excited about it, but it's not where I would want to be. But because of you and people like you, uh, we're very blessed that Wolfram and I can get our message out. So um, I want to pass it over to the both of you, but I had to interject that information.
2: And I I guess I want to – my head is going around kids being uh, children, one, and babies having – what are the symptoms for children and uh, kids that they have hypoglycemic, or they're suffering? I know with adults, you know, you, you talked about the headaches,
4: the shakes. Um, right. I, well, I can tell you, you know, that because that's some that's something very close to my heart. When we first started the organization forty years ago, we would hear from women. Okay, we would hear from women, and they were women, and you know, forty to sixty. Okay, then as the years progressed, we would hear from um, men. Then we would hear from adolescents, young men, young women. Then we would hear a little bit about seniors. It wasn't until about 15 years ago that we started to hear from parents. My child, six years old, has hypoglycemia. My child, four years old, has it. My child, three years old, has hypoglycemia. Well, this was like startling to me. You know, what's happening? So every time when somebody um, got in touch with us concerning that child, I felt it was so important I needed to learn more. So I said, please, can I call you? And we started to speak, and I saw a common thread, okay? The biggest culprit was the fruit juices. Because they wanted to stay, instead of getting rid of the milk, you know, milk all of a sudden they wanted to change. And, you know, people were saying that too much milk wasn't good. They said, well, juice, especially orange juice, vitamin C, it has to be good. So if we give two, four ounces, if we give six, eight ounces, it has to be better. And this started the culprit, the juice. The other thing was the fruit. Okay, let's give them, instead of junk food, let's give them something good and wholesome, fruit. So I would see kids have a big, you know, young kids, three years old, have a big handful of grapes. That's all sugar. Between the grapes and the orange juice, it's an overload. There's no way. That was the start of it. And then a lot of these children were having it first thing in the morning and last thing at night. So there's, there's no way. So uh, that's where it started and the same time that i was seeing this on the east coast in south florida um wolfram is going to tell you what dr lustig saw on the west coast and uh, what he saw the high number of diabetics so i'm i'm very fortunate and blessed to be able to work with him so wolfram could you take it from there
3: Sure. Um, One of our medical advisors is Dr. Robert Lustig. He's a world-renowned pediatric neuroendocrinologist. And for about 30 years, he saw children in his practice. And uh, day by day, year by year, more and more kids were coming to his clinic, uh, severely overweight, uh, with type 2 diabetes, with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and these previously were conditions, as I mentioned, type 2 diabetes was called geriatric diabetes 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, non-alco- non-alcoholic fatty liver disease used to be, uh, you 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 probably heard of cirrhosis of the liver. That used to be a problem with adults who drank too much. Um, and now these are among the fastest-growing chronic d- diseases with children. And it doesn't, it, it's not just with, it, uh, you know, food for children. It starts with infant formula. It starts with uh, processed baby foods, which essentially are very high in starch and sugar. And so, uh, you know, children's palates are being primed for, you know, high sugar content foods uh, from a very young age. So Dr. Lustig is an interesting uh, figure because he is both a Doctor, uh, a clinician as well as a research scientist. So, um, you know, he sees he, he's he's spent much of his career seeing children and treating them in the clinic, but he also was conducting uh, research. And so he did a, a very famous study, which I think is really appropriate to share with this conversation. It's called a it was called a fructose restriction study. So, essentially, it was an isochloric – they put children on what's called an isochloric diet, which is a fancy way of saying they did not reduce their calories. The diet was not about calorie reduction. What they wanted to see was if they just took out one type of sugar, fructose, would there be any um, health benefits? And uh, the population that Dr. Lustig sees, the majority were African-American and Latino – African-American and Latino children are at uh, much greater risk for type 2 diabetes and metabolic conditions. And so uh, the, the, the study that was done uh, was, was done with, with the majority of uh, African-American and Latino children. And the, the children essentially, uh, you know, and I have to say first, you know, there's two different, two basic types of sugar, glucose and fructose. Glucose is essential to every cell in the body and every living thing on earth. We all need glucose to uh, function and survive. In fact, the human body is, is amazing to the, effect, to the, to the um, point that it, if it doesn't get enough glucose, it will actually manufacture its own glucose. Um, and fructose is, uh, it, most people are familiar with fructose coming with, uh, from fruit, but, of course, okay. with modern processed foods and sodas and juices, fructose is increasingly coming from processed sugars or processed foods. And uh, so he, he did this study, and he said, you know, we didn't give these kids a the health food diet. We took away their, uh, you know, the donuts, and we gave them a bagel, you know. Um, so he, essentially uh, they, they wanted to see the effect of taking the fructose out without reducing the calories. And within ten days, and this study is on Dr. Lustig's website, um, if you just input, uh, if you do a search on fructose restriction study, Dr. Robert Lustig, it's easy to find. And the study showed a remarkable range of health benefits to children in just ten days by pulling the fructose out. And Dr. Lustig has made this point many times is that, um, you know, the you know not all, not all sugars are harmful and some of them are particularly more harmful for others it's not just the calories it's toxic calories meaning there are certain types of foods certain types of sugars which are actually toxic and that's why his research has targeted uh fructose roberta mentioned you know fruit juices um it, you know for the for the most part giving kids fruit is a, a not necessarily a bad thing um, but there are certain kinds of fruit which, have, which are also have uh, fiber and, you know, beneficial nutrients. There's other fruit which has been sort of bred just to be basically little sugar bombs. I mean, Roberta mentioned grapes, for example. Um, but the interesting thing is that if you give a kid some fruit, let's say you give a, a child an orange, or you put three oranges in front of a kid, how many oranges do you think they'll eat? Uh, the average kid will not eat more than one orange, maybe two, uh, because when they're eating the orange, um, they're getting all the fiber from the orange as well. And the fiber ha- has multiple benefits. It, it, it actually helps to slow down the metabolism of the uh, food. It, it actually um, helps the body. It slows down the, the, the sugar rush, if you will, um, but when you mm-hmm. juice uh, fruit, uh, there, it, you get, the, you know, the bums rush. You get up this big rush of sugar, and the liver doesn't, isn't able to handle it. Um, it fructose, uh, I mentioned that glucose is processed in every cell of the body, but fructose is processed in the liver. And so uh, that's part of the problem is that uh, the liver is getting bombarded uh, with all of this fructose in the diet, and it can't handle it, and so what it does is that it it, it it does a number of things happen, but it's like a chemical cascade of problems, and one of them is that it starts creating fat in the liver. And this is one of the interesting things about sugar, i and the the sort of the uh, irony or maybe paradox of this this whole thing is. Um, it, it turns out that the fat in our diet isn't what was making us fat. It was the sugar that was making us fat because it, the, the way in which our body metabolizes these substances. And so the, the liver gets overloaded with fructose. It converts that to fat. And then children are getting fatty liver disease, which is, uh, you know, as I mentioned in adults, you know, the most likely reason you would have fatty liver disease is from drinking too much alcohol. Uh, and, and that's why Dr. Lustig says that sugar is the alcohol of the child, because uh, wow. the, the essentially sugar and alcohol, not the same substances, but actually, of course, alcohol is produced by essentially uh, it, alcohol is sugar, metabol, you know, fruit, uh, grapes, mostly metabolized a few steps ahead. So you're actually getting, um, you know, you're actually getting the carbohydrates. Alcohol is a very... Processed food—it's like the ultimate processed food, just like sugar. And it turns out that alcohol and sugar are metabolized in the body in the same way and um, have the same effect. It, just like the alcoholic gets too much alcohol, gets a fatty liver, right. while the child gets right. too much sugar and gets a fatty liver. Um, and it's interesting—you've probably heard of foie gras, which is a delicacy Ooh. of uh, basically uh, duck, uh, fatty duck liver. And they make it into now, like a ne- pate.
2: Now, is that what it, um, I've heard people put beef liver and do make a pate, uh, like a pate or, or like a cream, um Use beef liver, but um, what type of liver is this?
3: Well, a duck duck uh, liver is is called foie gras, sort of a delicacy. Okay. And the way they make it's interesting. The way they make um, how do they get the the duck liver to be so fatty? Well, they feed these ducks and literally force feed them with uh, sugar. Uh, in some cases, they even get recycled uh, candy from you know large candy factories. But whatever method, wow. basically, they cram sugar down these ducks' throat. These poor little ducks' throats, and they get a fatty liver. Well, essentially, that's what we're doing to the human liver today. Is that we are turning our liver. Into foie gras, which uh, is a, basically a fatty liver, and there's no difference okay. if you hold a a, a, a a liver from a alcoholic who has cirrhosis of the liver, and you put a, a liver of a child that has fatty liver disease under a microscope, you can't tell the difference between the two. And this is wow. the fastest growing fastest growing metabolic disease on earth is fatty liver disease. And what's just so shocking is that it's happening in the in the child population it's it's like i said these kinds of diseases before were diseases uh that came much much later in life but the the amounts of processed foods and added sugar in our diet has has brought this down to to infants and babies and it's it's just uh it, it, it's really a tragedy um and and i guess I think that the, a lot of this information is getting out. You know, Dr. Leslie has written two books. He's writing another one. You know, Roberta's written her book. She's been doing this work for 40 years. I've been involved in in, in health and education for 40 years myself. In fact, my first job back in 1979 uh, was organizing the first farmers' markets in the Los Angeles area, all in low-income communities.
2: Um, wow! And
3: so we. You know, we're, we've been working on this for a long time, but there still seems to be some level of, you know, what's called like a cognitive disconnect, meaning people are getting the information, but they're not changing their behavior. <laughs> um, and I think there's a number of reasons for that, um, which we could go into, but it's, it's just, uh, you know, our work is, is as challenging and as important as it's ever been and then we have, we add the the layer on top of that is having a pandemic of a new virus, which, as it turns out, the the, the everybody can get coronavirus. It doesn't discriminate. Uh, you can be old, young, uh, thin, thin, overweight. Uh, you know, any race. It doesn't discriminate. anybody can get the coronavirus. What the difference is, the people who are who are having the hardest time with this virus, the ones who are dying from the virus, are the are are folks who tend to be have um, me, who are metabolically compromised, meaning they're overweight uh, or they have type two diabetes. These are two of the leading um, conditions which are uh, associated with patients who get the coronavirus and get really sick. And it's interesting because, uh, one, I mean, clearly if you get off processed foods and get on a healthy diet and focus on real foods, you, you, you may still get the virus, but you, your immune system will be stronger and you'll be better able to uh, fight it off. And the, the other thing is that the, the, the responses to the processed food diet. Are, are, you've probably heard the term inflammation. You know, yeah. inflammation is a process that a lot of people are, um, their systems are reacting to these substances, added sugar and many other substances that are being added to our diet. And our body's natural response is is this inflammation process. And it turns out one of the leading causes of death in the coronavirus is something they call the cytokine storm. And I I mean, I've heard the word before, but honestly, I wasn't paying attention. But when Dr. Lustig started talking about it, and of course, many others now, and there's studies coming out, uh, cytokines are proteins that basically mediate and regulate immunity uh, and uh, inflammation. And when the virus when the coronavirus gets in the body, um, the body reacts to that and it, you know, and, it, and it results in this inflammatory state and that's why they have to get people on these respirators because they can no longer, their lungs are literally so swollen they can't uh, breathe and, uh, on their own and so this, this um, inflammation response is a kind of a critical factor in um, actually managing and helping people recover from, um, th- from the coronavirus. So we've published a couple of um, uh, articles and resource pages on our website that are um, pointing this out. Of course, you know, th- there can be uh, many factors that affect why somebody, one person, is uh, more profoundly affected and, and has a more difficult time uh, beating the virus and others, but the leading factors as far as we can tell from the research that's coming out is your metabolical condition, you know, uh, the kind of diet you're eating and um, your, is your immune system strong? And did you already have, uh, you know, are you already at risk because you're overweight or you have type two diabetes?
2: And, you know, um When the coronavirus was, when they started putting a stay at home order and people were going to the grocery store, my daughter and I, my daughter decided, well, let's go to Costco and pick up a few things. And we really didn't need to, but we just called ourselves being a little extra cautious and just get some things. And the store was packed. It was packed. And what was amazing was everything, like you said, the sugar, the processed foods, everything was off the shelf but all the fruits and the vegetables. So I'm going over there by the vegetables and everything, and there's plenty of that. And I told my daughter, I said, look, they're picking up the the, the enemy that's not going to help the body to fight off this virus. They're they're eating food that's going to help the enemy to, fix, uh, to come at their body and just run havoc on their body. The sugar, the processed food, the, everything was picked up. And... The vegetables like the greens and tomatoes and all that stuff was still there. But we're creatures of habit. And the reason why I started my business in this blog talk is because a lot of times we don't know unless someone says, oh, wait a minute, now if you eat this, this is what's going to happen. You need to change your diet because we only we eat like mama because mama put the eat your food. This is what mama put in front of us. And as kids, you grow up especially in the African-American communities, you know, with low-income families are um, threatening to get a meal. And now they got these boxes of food that they're handing out to people in long lines, and a lot of that is processed food and um, candy and junk and um, juices, fruit juices. And so... I've had Dr. Lester L. Carter on my show. He's out of Wisconsin and he's a black pharmacist that mixes up medicine the old way and a herbalist. Two combinations, a herbalist and a pharmacist. But um he's in his he's in his mid eighties. Uh, eighty I think Doctor Carter's about eighty seven years old and still working, still moving about. And he it's thing, every time you come on the show he talks about type two diabetes in our community, the type two diabetes and type one diabetes and that is running rapid in our community because of what we're eating. we got to change that. And knowing that these children are having a profound effect uh, with their health, and how do you change that? What are some of the results of kids, you know, the stories that you're seeing with the parents? How long does it take if I start changing my child's diet? How long would it be before I start seeing any results? either with their blood sugar numbers or their behavior or their health reasons? Because there's three factors here, the blood sugar number, their behavior, and their physical health that they're dealing with.
3: Yeah, so I I mentioned Dr. Lustig's study, which showed in 10 days uh, really dramatic improvements in uh, the children's health. And the study is easy to find. Um, online, um, okay. the, it was. It's called the fructose restriction study, um, and and the results were seen in children. So some of the benefits. This happened in 10 days. Uh, improved glucose tolerance, lowered blood pressure, improved liver tests, decreased triglycerides, improves uh, insulin sensitivity, lowered fasting insulin, decreased fasting glucose. Uh, decreased LDL cholesterol. So, I mean, this was in 10 days. So that's the really good news is that that's just one substance. You know, that wasn't putting the kids on a healthy health food diet. That was just taking fructose and restricting fructose in the diet. So it wasn't 100%. It wasn't a no fructose diet. It was just uh, taking the numbers uh, down significantly. Uh, So blood pressure went down 4.3%. LDL cholesterol went down 12.5%. Uh, fasting triglycerides down 46%. Fasting insulin down uh, 53%. So there were really, these are dramatic numbers to see. Uh, and wow. these kids weren't everyday kids. These were kids who were really sick. You know, these these were kids who, uh, you know, would benefit more than any other. So, you know, they had their systems were already compromised. And so that study is, me, so encouraging because even uh, even if
1: you're
3: you know you're you're not very healthy right now, you can start to see benefits in a very short period of time. And if you've participated in any of these online sugar summits or here you know quit, people who are trying to quit sugar, um, people like most people within a matter of days, five to seven days, are you know experiencing something. I like uh they call brain fog being lifted. Yeah. Um they yeah. they're having yeah. clearer thoughts, uh they're they they have more energy, which is kind of ironic because a lot of people, you know, when they're feeling low in energy, they they look for a high carb snack or a high sugar snack. But the irony yeah. is that actually ultimately you get a sugar rush, but then you crash. You always crash afterwards. That's the blood sugar roller coaster effect. Um so anyway, that, you know, that's really encouraging news that you can really see a difference. The thing is you have to make this fun for kids and families. And Roberta and I, uh, you know, we're constantly looking for ways that we can make, um, you know, to leverage our impact. And, we, you know, we, we, we saw the writing on the wall, and we've decided to form our own publishing house because we realized that this oh. information wasn't getting out there. It's called Serotonin Press. And one of our first authors, uh, of course, Roberta's writing her next book. I'm writing a book. But we also we have a, a doctor uh, in, in Montana named Dr. Flass, uh, Dr. Thomas Flass. And he has a medical degree as well as a degree in nutrition. And he's another doctor like Dr. Lustig who uh, just he, – he, he realized that he couldn't solve this problem by fixing one child at a time. Because the more child, children he fixed, they come to the door, uh, more and more are coming. And so you have to get out there and do public education. You've, you know, you've got to right. get the word right. out in the mass media. And so he decided to write a book. Uh, it's, it's going to be called Feeding Our Children. And it's one of our first, oh, he's one I of like our first that. authors. Yeah. Um,
4: Very exciting. But
3: the, 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 the good news is there, there are solutions. I mean, education, you know, first just becoming aware. Um, the next thing is, you know, the education, investigation. You know, uh, learn. you've got to learn some more about the situation. You have to learn a little science, and you have to learn how to cook. Um, you know, I was blessed. Even though my mom was a single working mom, we, she cooked dinner every night. You know, we didn't eat processed foods. And mm-hmm. and so that you know the, the it, it may sound you know for some people they may hear oh I have to cook more that sounds like drudgery, but believe me, yeah. um, drudgery the ultimate form of drudgery is sitting in uh, hospital waiting rooms and and seeing doctors and being poked and being prodded and having to take pills uh, to to stay healthy. Uh, so if we can if we can learn how to cook and we can you know. Get properly educated, we've got to learn a little science. And here's the other good news. There's new technology becoming available that has never been available to us before. You're probably familiar with blood testing supplies like the the right. old school method, you know you prick your finger and you take your glucose test in the morning and you are asking about the numbers, you know you see where your your what your number is, and you get a snapshot of your your blood sugar, right? Mm-hmm. Well, right now we have, we have the, this technology. It's called continuous glucose monitors. And a con- continuous glucose monitor gives you a movie versus a snapshot. And this technology was a developed first for type two, type 1 diabetics, and they've been using it for years. And basically it's, a, it's like now what you have is like a patch that goes on your arm, and it actually goes mm-hmm. a little beneath your skin. And it measures oh. interstitial fluid, not your blood, but uh-huh. your interstitial fluid. It's measuring the glucose in that. And every five minutes, it's taking your blood sugar, and that goes to your, your phone. Uh, and you can, or you can sync it with a device in your computer. And then you, what you see is the effect of foods, not just a snapshot that <laughs> you're fasting glucose in the morning, but what happens after you have a bowl of cereal. Or what happens when you have a plate of eggs versus a plate of carbohydrates? And not just what happens right afterwards, because it's natural for your blood sugar to rise after you've had some carbohydrates. That's a natural process. What, what isn't natural is that maybe your blood sugar shoots way over 200, or, and then it just drops all the way down. In three hours, you have, you're having a hypo, meaning you have extremely low blood sugar. Maybe it's down to 70 or 60. And that happens for a lot of people, but we don't we don't see it. Now you can actually see it. Unfortunately, the insurance companies are not yet paying for the continuous glucose monitors for everybody, but the cost of the technology is coming down. So you can get one of these uh, continuous glucose. You need a prescription, but usually uh, if you talk to your doctor, they'll be willing to write you a prescription. They'll tell you, if you don't have type, type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes, you, you're just trying to prevent yourself from getting uh, sicker, they, they might tell you, well, it's not covered under your insurance and you probably don't need this. But, you know, I suggest uh, looking into it anyway because people are learning a lot about how their diet is affecting them by actually being able to see this movie, which shows how their body reacts to, uh, and really it's all about the carbohydrates and the adage, the process. Carbohydrates and the sugars, and what happens? The you know, Roberta mentioned the the glucose tolerance test. Um, you know, it used to be you'd have to basically drink a big glass of what was like the equivalent of Mountain Dew, and then they you'd have to do this in the hospital, and you have to see what happened over the next three to five hours. But now you can actually see what happens uh, right there on your cell phone or on your laptop, and you can you can see this happening in in, in almost real time, and you, you get a you get a movie you get a, a much better picture of what's going on and then you can uh and you can learn so much from this information um so it's it's really a, a big game changer in in this world
4: now well uh, will, will, um oh go ahead say i just want to add something to it but you you speak now first well
2: i wanted to well, say um, now Marcia, I, I'm listening, but I'm wondering because as, as, as a mom and a grandma, and I don't have type two, type one, thank you, Jesus, but I want to say that it would be overwhelming to me to try to um, put a diet together for these kids in which I can understand the parents' uh, frustration and going to school, going to visit with grandma, going to visit with other family members, getting everybody on board with this. Is there a conference where we can see, because I'm a visual person, that we can actually see the diets and the programs and the foods that you use, showing people how to prepare these foods and how to do the testing and where they can go and get tested? Because many times their doctors may say, well, we're not going to give you that test. And if the test is lengthy as you say it is, it can be expensive. So how can one be tested and then two, what Program and teaching is the Hypoglycemic Foundation is doing. Um, I would love to see a conference to come down there to your conference to see some of the teaching and education that goes into helping people to get better with the hypoglycemic.
4: Okay, well we, we'd um, love to I do think... some.
3: Go ahead, Rebecca.
4: No, go ahead. Well, I before we go any further, I just wanted the audience. I think we we've been speaking a lot. I want to go – I just want to mention the symptoms of hypoglycemia because I have them right in front of me. So anyone that is listening, if, you know, you're listening, we're giving you a lot of information, and you're sitting there and saying, okay, maybe I have it, but what exactly are the symptoms? And I want to go over them because it's important. Okay, so the biggest one is fatigue. If you can't get out of bed in the morning – you know, that's like a red flag. Insomnia. You can't go to sleep at night. Mental confusion. You know, um, I'm, I'm doing this and then I'm stopping right in the middle of it. What was I doing? Nervousness. Mood swings. Headaches. depression, okay. Phobias. Heart palpitations. And a big one is craving for sleep. Cold hands, cold feet, which I mentioned there before. Forgetfulness. Dizziness. Blurred vision, inner trembling, outbursts of temper, sudden hunger. You've got to get the food right away. Allergies, crying spells. Now, this is, we just watched what's my list, about 10, 15 of them. Um, if yeah. you go and read some of the books, you'll have 44. If you read Nancy Appleton's books, there's hundred and almost 150 So I just want to say that if you have a symptom, okay, if you have, you know, pain in your head, before you take a pain pill, stop and think, be food-related. Before you get nervous and you take your tranquilizer, what is it? And the biggest thing that Wolfman and I tell people to do is to keep a diet symptom diary. This is your biggest gift that you can give yourself. And this will help you, you know, especially for the people out there. Do I have hypoglycemia? You know, is it due to my diet? Is it due to something else, an underlying condition? Okay, so this is, I'm going to say it before, and then you and Wolfram can can go on. Keep a daily account of every single thing that you eat for a week to 10 days. Now, Marsha, you just mentioned about children. A, uh, A mother, a father can do this with their child, okay, Keep an account of every single thing that they eat for a week to 10 days. In one column, list every bit of food and drink and medication that they take and at what time. Okay? In the second column, list your symptoms and the time at which you experience them. Very often you're going to see a correlation between the two. And then you can eliminate the foods or the drinks, for instance, with a child. You know, oh, my God, every day at 10 o'clock, she or he gets a temper tantrum. Or the teacher says at ten, eleven o'clock, you yep. know, uh, falls, falls asleep. Well, let's look. What did he have in the morning? Okay, the mornings that he had protein, eggs or whatever, he was able to go to 12 noon. But the morning he just skipped everything and maybe just went out with an apple, by ten, eleven o'clock, He's either sleeping or he's irritable or he's climbing the walls. You see what I'm trying to get? So it could be for a child or it could be for adults. And what I also wanted to bring up, before we were talking about children, okay, we're talking about children, we're talking about diet. Um, More so with adolescents, what we have seen, just go a little bit up the ladder, to some, you know, 10, 12, 14, 16-year-olds, a lot of boys, okay, Um, energy drinks they're starting already with drugs they're starting with vapors Mm -hmm. and excessive exercise excessive exercise so we have other things that will drop your blood sugar so again the diet symptom diary is very important and if you have a child put another column in there and if they exercise extensively or too hard write it down see if their blood sugar drops after that and then you're going to start seeing a correlation. And then the biggest thing today, a mother, after maybe something like today and what we spoke to, is start eliminating the biggies. We're talking about, you know, um, sugar, alcohol, white flour. You know, um, I know it's hard, but you've got to start someplace, even if it's small. Some people are able to go in there, take everything out. Some people can't, you know, and now that we're right smack snack in the middle of the coronavirus, you know, you still have to go out to shop and, and, and uh, get your food. Maybe now when you go, maybe get a little bit more protein. Maybe don't get five bags of chips and dip and all that kind of juices. Have more water. So um, everything is on our website, how to do it. And if we don't know it, we send you to where to go. We have an incredible amount, as I said, of uh, medical advisors. They have the websites. And we have an extensive list of Q&As right on our first page. You don't even have to go past that. So, um, you know, it is there. So I wanted to just bring that in, and then you guys could take it from there. <laughs> I love having everybody here, the two of you. I'm just sitting <laughs> back enjoying. <laughs> I, I love, love it. I love it. Cool. But going back, going back just, Marsha, with the glucose tolerance test, whether it's the glucose tolerance test, whether it's the continuous glucose monitor, and Wolfram's even going to mention something else. I'll pass that on to him. Be informed. Be informed. Don't just do what I did and say, okay, I'm going to take it the glucose tolerance test. We have a whole um, blog on the glucose tolerance test, the do's and don'ts. You must be prepared for it because it could be a breeze or you can, you know, have some stumbling blocks to it. Be informed, okay? So um, it's all there. It's all there. And Wolfram, I'd love for you to to tell them what um, Dr. Linda Peterson has found out and what we just found out about.
3: I'd love to share that. I just first uh, the diet symptom diary. We have the form and the the method on our website. You go to hypoglycemia.org forward slash diet hyphen symptom hyphen diary. It's easy to find on the on the website under learn under diet, and it's right there. And there's uh, some forms. So that's one solution. And Roberta mentioned that we if we don't have a solution like uh, I think Marsha, you're asking like, what do they cook? You know, uh, they're looking for advice. Well, there's a wonderful doctor at at Stanford, Dr. Maya Adam. Uh, she has written a, a really lovely book called Food Love Family, and uh, oh. the you can get yeah uh, you can get that book uh, on Amazon or you can get the Kindle version. It's less than ten bucks. But here, even better, she has a, a course online, so you don't have to. You know, uh, go to a conference and pay a big fee, and uh, and and for a lot of mothers uh, and you know working families, going to conferences is very hard. So you can take this yeah. course online. It's it's free, and uh, several hundred thousand people have already taken the course. It's child nutrition and cooking, and it's on a platform called Coursera, uh, C O U R S E R A. And if you just uh, again do a search for Maya Adam. Uh, child nutrition and cooking, and her philosophy is making cook. You know, this should all be fun. I mean, it, you know, I think a, a lot of people think, oh my God, that's too much work. You know, I'd rather just go to McDonald's and get the kids, a, you know, uh, you know, get the kids some food, and and then I don't have to cook for uh, two hours. But um, there's a lot of really good instruction, like what Dr. Um, Maya Adam provides. Dr. Lustig wrote a, a, a cookbook as well. He wrote a book called Fat Chance, and he wrote the Fat Chance Cookbook. Uh, another doctor, Dr. Le- David Ludwig, he's in Boston. Uh, he wrote a book called Always Hungry, and he wrote a cookbook with his wife who's a, uh, a chef and a dietitian called Always Delicious, and it has a lot of really good recipes in it. And Dr. Lustig's cookbook, uh, always, uh, the Fat Chance Cookbook, was vetted by high school students they the the for a recipe to be in the book a high school student had to be able to make it and they were all um, easy to prepare and uh, didn't take a lot of time Uh, so there are cookbooks out there I mentioned Dr. Flass we're going to be publishing his book it's not a cookbook but he provides a lot of really practical information so you know I think um, in response to your question that we're really trying to we we don't want to just point out the problems and we understand that some of these things like maybe getting a, glu- a t- continuous glucose monitor or even just a regular glucose uh, testing meter, that might be uh, sound overwhelming, but you can start making changes in your diet right away as Roberta said, and you can just eliminate some of the big kahunas, you know, the the soda pop and the, you know, the foods that have added sugar in them um, and, and just focus on real food and like I said, it, it should be fun, um, and, and it really can be. It's it's so much more fun than spending time at the hospital and waiting in the doctor's office. And well, you
4: know, uh, one thing, uh, uh, um, Masha, I'm just looking at my website. We have a whole uh-huh. section just on children, kids. Right. We have do's yes. and don'ts yes. for the parents for the teachers and i'm just reading some of them and they're really great it says do open up lines of communication with your child concerning their food habits and uh, possible associated signs and symptoms let them also know that wrong about wrong choices even in diet may produce negative consequences but i love this do educate yourself parents Is your responsibility to be educated in this correlation between diet and behavior. What your child eats and doesn't eat directly directly relates to how he thinks, feels, and acts. So, uh, and it has a whole thing there, how to work with your schools, how to work with your teachers, your counselors, and all of this. So, please, I beg the audience to first go and... um, go on our website, and if you're concerned about your children and your child's behavior, you know, check us out. It's, it's all there. It's all there. So I'm excited about that. I just remembered. And plus with everything that um, Wolfram said to, you know, to check out. And I'm sure you must have something, Marsha.
2: You know, uh, I was going to share with this, listening to um, Wolfram talk and sharing his story about the diet in the book, there's uh, – you guys heard of the um, – the, uh, where people eat too much carbs and sugar that they're actually getting drunk because of the diet. These kids, are, um, uh, they call the Brewer Syndrome. And it's affecting these behavior, anger, um, rage, and that if we feed our children a lot of carbs and a lot of sugar, it does affect their behavior. And i heard so many parents that my child is, You know, it's not until after they had lunch that they're getting notes and calls from the teacher about the children's behavior. And a lot of times I say, what are they eating? It's right after lunch. These kids are off the chain, and the parents and the teachers are, at their are end, in not knowing that it's the food that they're feeding these children. And the Brewer syndrome, they now have, they call it the Brewer syndrome, where they're arresting people for being drunk. They're actually getting drunk without taking one drink of alcohol because the yeast in their gut and the sugar in the carbs, is, they they have their own skill within their own gut. And I did a presentation in Noonan to one of the police departments there, and, it, and the captain screamed from the back, oh, my God, I just got a memo on that. And we got to realize how powerful food can be in healing our minds and our bodies. And, you know, we as parents, you know, and grandparents, we want our children to be the best. We want them to be smart. We want them to be very productive citizens. We want them to be able to get along with everyone. And this thing with the coronavirus, you got people stuck in their homes eating all this stuff. And domestic violence is up. It's very and, and the consumption of alcohol is up, so
4: we want people. I just read the numbers. You're talking about how, yeah, like three to five hundred percent up with alcohol and yep. all of that, yeah. Marsha, as you as you're speaking, I have to interject right here and commend you for what you're doing. Really, I'm I'm very excited. I'm very excited. I don't even know how we got to do this. This is about our third or fourth program. But I'm very excited and feel very honored when we do this together. And I see and hear what you're doing in Georgia. And that's what we need. We need to get more of us together. And uh, and then you just have to come down to Florida, you know, and we put on a big program.
2: <laughs> we,
4: I would love that. I would love to be able
2: to have a program where we can have the parents and the teachers and everyone from the community actually hearing and seeing this information and seeing the cooking demonstration, the books that you guys were sharing, the doctors' testimonies that you have put together from their studies, because, you know, internet is great, but I really, that one on one teaching and training, and that's why you're getting the phone calls, that's why you're getting the emails, because parents are desperate. Because when your house is in a, I mean, chaos, there's no rest, there's no peace, and people want this peace, fearful because of what's out here with the coronavirus. Now we're stuck at home with these children who are off the chain or the adults who are off the chain or who's alcoholic or drunk, and now there's no inner peace and there's no outer peace. And I truly believe what we put inside of us and with the information you're giving us is going to empower people to say, wait a minute, I can have that inner peace by what I decide to put on my table or in my hand and in, in me to eat. So I just I am truly, truly, truly grateful for what you're doing and your story. And that's the purpose for the show is to bring information so we can share with everyday people. You don't have have to spend a lot of money. And like Wolfram said, there's classes online, free classes online. And they got books out where we can read. And their website, the website is very, very simple, easy, but powerful. It's packed with great information. The do's and the don'ts, the symptoms for children as well as adults, and the steps that you can take. And then, now, too, aren't you guys connecting to doctors? Or if people want to find these doctors, because if they don't have a doctor that's not willing to hear them, do you guys have a directory so people can call or connect with doctors that support what you're doing?
3: I can answer that. We do not offer a directory, but what we try to do is provide information so you know what kind of doctor you might need uh, because that can make all the difference in the world. And so we do uh, we do provide guidance on that on our website. Um, and it's just, uh, and we we, ha- we can point to, there are a couple other uh, websites that we point to, which do provide uh, directories to the kind of doctors we're talking about. Um, and then okay. Roberta mentioned our infographic uh, hypoglycemia.org forward slash info. Um, It it also contains just a wealth of information. We spent a whole year on that infographic uh, to explain just some of the basics of, uh, you know, how to get ready for a doctor's appointment and what kind of questions to ask and, you know, what kind of things to look for. Um, And so I think what our orientation is uh, we don't yet offer the directory, but we do offer tools and information so that you can be better able to find the right kind of doctor to help you. Because, frankly, a lot of doctors, actually less than 30% of all doctors uh, actually even take a nutrition course. And so, unfortunately, this is a real blind spot and a weak spot in modern medicine is really uh, connecting the dots between uh, your your food and your health. And a lot of doctors Mm -hmm. just don't feel qualified to, to make comments or to provide advice and so um, so you, you may have to um, do a little, you know, uh, shopping or, you know, figure out how to really shop for a doctor that may um, be able to uh, help you or just simply how to bring up the right questions with your existing doctor because um, uh, oftentimes it's just about that, asking the right questions and, um, and asking whether you might – you know things. How to ask about things like a glucose tolerance test or a continuous glucose monitor, um, and so uh, you know that that knowing what questions to ask, either from your existing doctor or when you're looking for a doctor, can make a world of difference.
4: Okay. Marsha, we you have. Know, a, I think uh, I think we have a whole. Um, I, I know it's in my book, but I believe it's it's also on our website. Uh, how to find a physician. All do's and don'ts. I wrote the whole thing about it. And then I believe at the bottom of it, we have a list of at least 10 organizations that you can call and ask for a doctor referral. Uh, you know, they'll give you a, um, the name of a doctor in your area. There are a lot of places that do have it. And I believe it's on our website. I don't know where, but um, it is. And uh, so it, it's it's there. Um, and Fortunately and unfortunately, fortunately it's there. Unfortunately, some people, you know, don't take the time to look, and we try to tell them, and I just posted it up in our support group page. Please, this is a gift for yourself. The information is there. It may seem overwhelming, but take one page at a time, one paragraph at a time, one blog at a time. You know, it's like, um, you know, you get something home that you ordered and it it has to be put together. Well, in order for it to work, whether it's a blender, whether it's a vacuum cleaner, you got to put it together (laughs) for it to work. It it doesn't come, you know, uh, so that's the same thing here. You have to go in, you've got to look, you've got to understand, you've got to get directions and nobody else can do it for you. You know, it is there. The information is there. So, um, and, and we're going to take a break this, this podcast.
2: podcast. I want to take a break because I have two callers on there. I'm going to check and see if they have any questions for you guys. But we'll take a right back. I know you guys have been talking and giving us great information. So I want to give you guys the time to rest a little bit. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back. to the our network. I'm Martha Gattie for your help. Roberta on, and we have Whistler on. I have a caller. Her name is Marcia. She's calling out of Mississippi. And Marcia, uh, you have a caller. Uh, you have a question for our guests? Yes. Hi, my name is Marcia, and I just started uh, studying, uh, creative nutritional health, and that's uh, one of the areas we're talking about: the plate and what it looks like for us as fours. What what the diet looks like, and and one of the things they talked about was that the the doctors are not trained um, to even deal with the nutritional part, just as you all just said, and and I just thought it was amazing that you all you all saying the same thing, and um, a lot of the the doctors that have been on have been talking about the integrative medicine. My question was, what is the initial, and I'm just coming on, so you might have already answered it. What is the initial sign for hypoglycemic, and what is the best path to take once those signs are shown?
1: All right, I'll take. Okay.
4: Uh, would you like me to go over the symptoms again? Is that what you? Think? Well, Roberta, let me take
3: uh, Go ahead. Roberta, I just I just wanted to point out that on our website, we actually have a hypoglycemia.org forward slash quiz, uh, we have a, a, a basic uh, quiz that uh, lists the symptoms and can be used as a tool uh, for uh, determining whether you might have um, reactive functional hypoglycemia. And there's a whole list of physical and mental symptoms there. Uh, we've had uh, clinicians use it and be and really uh, happy with it. Uh, both uh, clinicians working in physical and mental health. So check that out. Again, it's hypoglycemia.org forward slash uh, quiz. Uh, and, uh, I mean, Roberta can list them, but they're, they're actually, uh, there's a pretty good solid list uh, there in the quiz that I think are, are good uh, good examples. And then we also have, at forward slash, uh, hypoglycemia.org forward slash uh, FAQ, uh, we have a, a whole list of questions and, uh, that may also address uh, what you're talking about, which uh, talk about some of the symptoms, uh, you know, what are the signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia, uh, main causes, tests, and things like that. I hope that helps.
4: Well, from what about the questionnaire?
3: Yes, yeah, so we have a, a, a more in-depth uh, opportunity, so you can, again, uh, hypoglycemia.org um, and uh, forward slash uh, questionnaire. And there is a, this questionnaire is is uh, to help you, to help us understand as well as others understand uh, what some of your symptoms are, but. It, it actually ranks uh, – we provide the, uh, some of the results from this questionnaire, and uh, we, I think we've, we've had well over 2,000 respondents so far. Um, leading uh, leading symptoms from people responding to our questionnaire include heart palpitations, dizziness, mood swings, headaches, depression, addiction to sweets, extreme fatigue, but there are um, – there's many other uh, results, and we have a whole interview on that page, the hypoglycemia.org forward slash questionnaire, which uh, interprets the results, uh, uh, talking with um, uh, Roberta and uh, a registered dietitian who's one of our advisors. Uh, so that's a more in-depth uh, way to understand what might be going on. But the quiz is, is short and very to the point, and uh, we found it to be a useful tool. So I hope that, that helps.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you.
2: Now, the quiz. and I've seen the quiz up, and I was going to bring that up, and I think that's a great tool, and that will be for parents and anyone to be able to to take a look at themselves as well as their children. And then there's uh, food and diet and information. Uh, I think it's great, and I just appreciate you guys sharing this great information because I can walk around and I can tell just in my own family who, oh, my God, hypoglycemic, you you know, you see these people going off, and then you're watching them eating all the sugar and the skipping the meals and the alcohol, and you're thinking, oh, my God, we're sick. We're sick. So the sick people trying to help other sick people, and it's not working. So we got to get ourselves well. In order to help our children or help our community, we have to take care of ourselves. And knowing that if we have these issues, there's something out here to help us with them. So I just want to thank you guys for this.
3: Well, thank you. Um, there's another article which might be of interest. Uh, we have a series that we call Metabolical, and these are more in-depth articles. And so we've done a feature story on hypoglycemia and alcoholism. Um, That's hypoglycemia.org forward slash alcoholism. And it starts off with a quote by Dr. Douglas Baird, who's one of our advisors, which says, I have never, ever seen an alcoholic who was not hypoglycemic. It just doesn't occur. It's the same problem. So unfortunately, a lot of the treatment programs out there for alcoholism and addiction um, really just focus on your behavior. Um, there's a, a, a growing body of research foc- that focuses on the nutritional deficiencies, which may drive addiction. And so this, this article on alcoholism is just, uh, to me, just fascinating, because I don't know about you, but I've uh, had alcoholics in my family um, and yep. I, I don't drink myself. I've always been concerned because of the pattern in my, uh, you know, yes. in, in my family. And uh, But mm-hmm. I did not understand the relationship between alcoholism and diet and alcoholism and hypoglycemia and blood sugar. And so this article really is in-depth and go, provides a lot of references. And uh, we've also been, been blessed to have some of our advisors uh, and and Roberta had mentioned earlier, um, uh, Dr. Linda Peterson, who uh, 40 years ago, uh, was uh, she did her doctoral thesis on um, uh, brain neurophysiology in persons with reactive hypoglycemia. Uh, Dr. Ann Childers, who is a psychiatrist and builds her practice at the intersection of metabolic health and, uh, and, and nutrition and is finding that a lot of the patients that come in who think they have mental health problems actually just have diet problems, and she can get them on the right track in a couple of weeks, and uh, amazingly, their mental health problems go away. Another one is Dr., not Dr., but uh, Julia Ross, who is an addiction specialist and therapist. Uh, She's written a book called The Craving Cure. It's loaded with information, Uh, These are all references if you go to hypoglycemia.org forward slash neurophysiology. um, That article is just loaded with references and and really interesting um, connections. Um, And it's just really uh, what's what's amazing about this work of hypoglycemia is how it touches on so many different medical conditions. And uh, that, you know, the more you learn about blood sugar, the more you realize that it's such an important indicator of your health, and if you can pay attention to what's going on with your blood sugar, you may well not only be able to prevent conditions from happening, but um, and not and, and not only improve or manage conditions that you already have, you might even be able to reverse them uh, by by paying enough attention to blood sugar health and, and learning more about it.
4: And Marcia, this is this Masha, this is exciting. If someone is listening and goes to our website and, you know, there are stages of hypoglycemia, okay? So if you're in the first stage of hypoglycemia and you, you can't think, you can't concentrate, well, you go to our website and you want to look at it, and all of a sudden it's too overwhelming, too much to read, too much to understand. But what's exciting is that Wolfram and I, in the last six months or eight months of the last year, we're doing videos. You know, we're doing interviews. So you put that on and you oh. absolutely see who we're speaking to. It is so exciting. And everyone that he mentioned, you know, Linda, Dr. Linda Peterson, Dr. Ann Childers, and, and um, uh, Julia Ross, put them on. Oh, my God. You will get a wealth of information that yes. is priceless. And also, we were very, very excited. We didn't think that we could pull this off, let me tell you. I didn't think we could do it. Celebrated the 40th year of um, the Hypoglycemia Support Foundation. And how do we celebrate it? Four hours on a Zoom conference call. Four hours. <laughs> And we chat it, And that is up there. So anyone, you know, I, I don't know if you want to sit for four hours, but if you're cleaning the house and doing something, you could put it on. You could see who we're interviewing. And let me tell you, I didn't think we could get to four hours. We could have gone five or six because there's so much. There's so much. Like the same mm-hmm. thing tonight. You know, we're just going to do an hour. But once we start chatting, you just can't possibly get it all within an hour. So I wanted to say, and in. You know, you, Marsha, if you could go in and see that, you know, just glance at some of these um, will. videos, will. you would love will. them. You would
2: love them. Yeah, yeah. And I would like to get a hold of that article about the food, I mean, about the hypoglycemic and alcoholicism because I, too, my family, my dad was an alcoholic and, you know, just plagued our family. And I have children, a uh, daughter that have a problem with drinking, so, but I want to be able to help families and know that sometimes we attack the person instead of attacking the problem or the whole issue. And the issue is right there on our plate and what we put in our mouths, and it's affecting us mentally, emotionally, and physically. And we can set people oh free my because
4: gosh. the twelve steps. I can't. I can't wait, Marcia. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: The 12-step program, they feed them a lot of sugar and stuff at those meetings and stuff. They get the coffee, the donuts, and everything like that. And you notice most people who are alcoholic, they tend to have a craving for sugar or carbs.
4: Marsha, when I found out about this in 1982, um, he was then our medical director, Dr. Douglas Baird. So we formed the organization in 1980. In 1982, he joined us, and he did a, a lecture. It was his first time in coming and, and speaking to our audience. And he took this subject. It blew my mind. I said, you've got to be kidding. Do you realize with your information what we can do and the people that we could save? Nobody realizes yeah. this correlation. So I've been studying mm-hmm. it for a long time, and I wrote about it for quite a while. Well, recently, Wolfram took the information that I had and the articles that I had, and he added to it. And he is such a stickler for anything that's science-based. It has to be science-based. I would say that when you go read this article, it is the best article out there on the correlation between hypoglycemia and alcoholism. I can't wait for you to read it. And Wolfram we'll uh, continuously adds to it. It is the best. And what we're doing now is taking a couple of other stuff that are near and dear to our hearts and doing something very, very similar. And one is on hypoglycemia, uh, depression, and suicide. So we've been researching wow. that. And, and another thing that m- many has, has not addressed, hypoglycemia seniors, you know, the elderly. And maybe Wolfram wow. could end, that's a big subject, maybe Wolfram could end a little bit on that and why that's so important now. And I'll take that to him because we only have a few minutes left and I, I, I'd love to for him to say something about it. So it takes a lot of research, a lot of studying, a lot of writing, but everything that we'll put into those next two subjects will be science. We're already collecting all the information. But Wolfram, could you... Um, give a little bit about hypoglycemia, elderly, seniors?
3: Well, yes. I mean, I I already mentioned earlier that type 2 diabetes used to be called geriatric diabetes. So, um, obviously, we've had concerns with the older population, the aging population, uh, for decades already. Um, And, Marsha, I don't know if you've had parents in uh, long-term care or in a retirement home or Uh, Or you visited family and friends in these facilities?
2: Um, Yes, sir. uh,
3: These facilities often have the capability of making really healthy food, but they have a tendency. What (laughs) I've seen by visiting my own relatives is uh, serving lots of servings of cake and uh, sugary foods, and it's sort of the attitude of you know, uh, you know. The, what, to, what harm could we do now? You know, let them just enjoy life and eat whatever they want. Um, uh, and unfortunately, um, there's, there's plenty of evidence that uh, seniors are suffering nutritionally and their brain health, their cognitive function, uh, their ability, their immunity, their ability to uh, age well and live well while aging is, of course, dramatically affected by uh, the food they eat. And then seniors who are living alone um, may sometimes rely on processed foods because they just don't, they're not able to uh, cook or, uh, you know, lacking the energy to cook. And it's its ironic because a lot of the processed foods actually result in you not having much energy. Um, and so I've seen, I've looked into the, to the refrigerators and, you know, when the seniors are living independently, uh, sometimes it, it's it's scary to see what's in the fridge and in the cupboard. It's a lot of processed foods, and so um, we're starting kids off as babies and infants with uh, processed foods, and then later in life we're we're in, we're ending up with these really ultra processed foods. And so there's uh, and we've noticed uh, with the COVID 19. Uh, pandemic that seniors are particularly at risk people with, who are metabolically compromised at risk and uh, you know it's too too early to to know you know exactly what's driving that but there's plenty of indicators that diet and health and food are just fundamental to uh, building a strong immune system and then when something does hit you like uh, like the coronavirus that your ability to survive it and uh is, is has a lot to do with your diet and and also nutritional deficiencies, which may be there. Um, the, a lot of seniors, when they're tested, for example, for vitamin D, uh, I recently just spoke to a doctor, and he said half the patients they test, uh, the, the elderly patients they test, uh, have a vitamin D deficiency. And uh, it turns out that vitamin D is a major uh, player in the COVID-19 uh, uh, treatment protocol. And, uh, really? again, yes. So, you know, we, of course you think of vitamin D sunshine, and there may be a number of reasons why senior maybe seniors aren't going in, out enough, uh, to, to get enough sunshine or they're not, they're not eating the foods, uh, that they used to eat that get, that keep their, uh, keep them, uh, their vitamin D levels up. But, um, it, it just, just Google vitamin D and coronavirus, and you'll see that there's a lot of doctors, including one of our own medical advisors, Dr. Keith Berkowitz. He, he 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 thought this was so important that he formed a group of 20 or 30 doctors who were all recommending the use of vitamin D as part of the protocol in responding to the coronavirus. Um, so the point and, is And vitamin
4: that, C, and the C, too. Yeah,
3: and, and vitamin C. But essentially, you know, we're, we're seeing that nutritional deficiencies don't just play a, a, an important role in uh, your blood sugar health and in your immunity in general, but they're seeing that they actually have a, a, can make a huge difference in your ability to survive something like the coronavirus. So, um, we, we've, like I mentioned, if you check our blog on our website, we have a couple of articles on the coronavirus, we, we're, we're listing uh, research articles that are coming out. Uh, we're providing links to doctors who are, who are writing about this. And uh, there's already a wealth of information coming out on, the, on this subject. And so we wanted to uh, – we're, we're planning on writing a feature story like we did for alcoholism uh, on our website that um, really addresses this. Because senior health matter. you know, your your food, your diet, matters until the day you leave this earth and don't, don't stop caring about your diet. And, and, and that goes for your, you know, family members and certainly to the, the facilities that are treating seniors. I know, I know a lot of the staff and the people working in those facilities really do care about health. And so we just have to get rid of the attitude like anything goes after a certain age. Um, we really, we really need to uh, stay Focused on health and healthy eating. It makes a difference uh, in how well you age, how much you enjoy life, and in your cognitive function. They've seen, you know, I mentioned brain fog earlier, just uh, right. you know, the effect of sugar and carbohydrates on the brain. Well, it turns out that these low fat diets have been a disaster for um, cognitive health in seniors. In fact, uh, type, type of, well, Alzheimer's is being described as type 3 diabetes. Uh, There's many different types of Alzheimer's. I'm sorry?
2: I've never heard of type 3 diabetes.
3: Well, most people haven't. um, But essentially, uh, they are using the term as a way of saying that one of the major drivers of Alzheimer's is is the food we eat. And it turns out your brain is basically comprised of fat. Uh, you know, cholesterol. And when we deprive, deprive our brains and our bodies of healthy fat, um, this has an effect on brain function. So, uh, you know, again, all these process, processed carbohydrates and uh, processed foods are actually depriving our brains of the basic nutrients that we need to stay healthy and functioning. And we've seen, there's, there's studies that have shown that, um, you know, carb, you know restricting carbohydrates or just eliminating the worst type of car- carbohydrates can have a significant effect on uh, seniors who might have lost quite a bit of cognitive function. They were able to get it back. Um, it, you may have a wow. more advanced stage of Alzheimer's or cognitive decline, and, there, and you know, there isn't always a happy ending. But for a lot of these seniors, um, they're able to see pretty remarkable results by really focusing on, in on the diet.
2: Wow. And see, our body is so wonderfully made that it it can heal itself. If we fuel it with the right food, water, vitamins, minerals, it will regenerate itself.
1: That's such a, a great a
2: quote.
3: Thing. I, you should write that down and put it on your website. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I will.
3: And a great, a great way to end our conversation, too.
4: And another thing, I I can't believe it's over.
2: Yeah, (laughs) but you said something about uh, a meetup. You have special meetups and things like that. So these meetups are on Zoom right now, or how do you have meetups? Because you meant something about um, some type of meetup groups, parents or support groups
1: earlier. We
3: have uh, have two Facebook groups, a public Facebook group and a private Facebook group. And uh, we are planning on starting uh, Zoom, meet, Zoom meetings online. We'll announce those on our website and in our Facebook groups. It's easy to find us on Facebook, um, uh, facebook.com forward slash, uh, I think it's hypoglycemia 101, but we're easy to find. Uh, just type in hypoglycemia support foundation into the search bar on Facebook, and we'll be announcing um, opportunities to uh, talk with us online and we're we're we've been l- lining up uh, experts and doing interviews with them just to sort of um, build up a repertoire of uh, you know conversations about important subjects to folks and have those those are all on our website uh, so yes all we right, you want to give a,
2: all right, we're down to 50, 50, uh, down to the last wire give them the website again so people can find you guys and I want to thank you so much for taking out your time on Sunday to do this show with me.
3: Thank you, Marcia. It's always a pleasure. The website is uh, hypoglycemia.org. That's H-Y-P-O glycemia, hypoglycemia.org. And it's, I, I think it's a pretty easy site to navigate and find all the, you know, answer your questions and find links to uh, scientific articles and a wide range of subjects. Thank
4: you. Uh, Well, uh, Marsha, I have to thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marsha. And thank you, Wolfram. We couldn't do without you. All right. You guys have a (laughs) blessed week.
3: Thank you.
2: All right. Have a blessed day. Everyone be safe.
3: Thank you. Bye bye. Bye
1: bye. Bye bye.